Well, good morning and welcome. So glad to be here. And uh, my name is Kevin. I am the Coleraine Campus Pastor, and it is great to see all of you here today. Uh, We are maxing out our social distancing ability on this level, so uh, it is really cool to see all of you here. Uh, Last week we did. We began a new series, and some of you maybe were here or caught it online, and maybe some of you are here with us for the first time. But we are in this series called One Another, and uh, we began last week with this message about love one another. And the reason that we did that, the reason we began with love is because love is the foundation of everything else that we're going to talk about. So whether we're talking about serving one another today or next week when we talk about elevating one another, the idea is that all of those begin with this first general idea that we have to love one another. And so one of the things that Nathan brought to our attention last week was the idea of this bucket. And this bucket represents me. And and the idea is that I become everything that I am pouring into this bucket. That my identity is really a culmination of everything that's being poured into me. And so the big idea is how do I start to put Jesus... And pour Jesus in to my bucket, right? That my attitudes, my actions, the way that I spend my time, the people that I choose to surround myself with, all of those things go into my bucket. And that bucket represents me. And if I want to be more like Jesus, well, how do I get more of Jesus into my bucket? Because if I say I follow Jesus, but I just continue to pour the world and the world's priorities, and the world's actions into my bucket. Well, like your mom says, garbage in, garbage out. And so this series is really about relationships. At its core, it's about how we choose to treat one another. What's going in your bucket? What's setting you up to see people, to treat people, to interact with people the way that Jesus would. When people see love in us, they'll see Jesus. So this week we are talking about this idea of serving one another, right? That uh, today's big idea is serving is not an obligation, that serving is an opportunity. So today we'll break down exactly what that means. I grew up in the church, right? And so there are times when if you grew up in a a church like this one, that you understand this idea that serving or volunteering or signing up for things and, and kind of going to church, that they go hand in hand. But there's times when serving or the call to serve inside of a church can seem like an obligation. Now I want you to hear me. We couldn't exist as a church without the hundreds of people who volunteer to make that happen. Whether it's Grow Zone Kids Ministry or Student Ministry or the people in the parking lot, the people that are prepping the communion, the people that are opening doors for us, the people that are running tech, the people that are here playing worship. We couldn't exist without volunteers, without people who sign up and, and choose to serve within these walls. That, that's what helps make a, allow us to make Sunday morning happen. So, so we need those people. Uh, but if you've ever been in a church long enough, there's these times where 
maybe you feel stuck. At some point in time, and you don't remember when, you signed up to be a part of something and maybe the expectation is that you're going to stay in that job until Jesus comes back and you're not really sure how you get out of it. And it changes from an opportunity to feeling like an obligation. And sometimes when things feel like an obligation, we can, love, we can lose the love for doing those things. A few years ago, my kids really wanted a dog. And Kate and I had had varying success with the dog thing uh, in the past. And so my daughter Olivia was the ringleader of this new campaign to have a dog in our home. And she said all those things that kids say that I'll take care of the dog, I'll save up money and I'll help pay for the dog, I'll feed the dog, I'll water the dog. You get the point. Well, my wife had a moment of weakness and one day she brought home this half lab, half German shepherd mixed pepper dog. That's her name, Pepper. And, uh... You know, it started out like, you know, you would expect, you know, the kids, I mean, our kids love Pepper. And at the beginning, they were really good at trying to do all those things that they listed out. But if I'm honest, now, today, you know who cares for that dog, you know who feeds that dog, you know who waters that dog? Katie does, all right? Not me. My wife, Katie, does. And it's not that my kids don't love Pepper, But sometimes when Katie will say, did you feed the dog today? Did you water the dog today? It's that, ugh. We just lose the love for doing the thing because it's it's an obligation. It's a checklist. It's something I have to do. And when we get that feeling that we have to do it, it's just not the same. Serving is not something to check off our spiritual to-do list. It's not a task that you complete to receive a reward. When we're talking about the phrase, serve one another, I don't want you to hear an obligation. I want you to hear an opportunity. The idea behind serving is about an attitude that we take on. An attitude to be more like Jesus and to see people the way that Jesus sees them. So in your Bible, in Luke chapter 14, we get a glimpse of this. And so if you've got a Bible or if you've got a phone, go ahead and turn it to Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, where we're going to be, Jesus is having dinner at this prominent person's home. He's been invited over to have dinner uh, with, with this prominent person and a bunch of other guests. And could you imagine inviting Jesus over to a dinner party? Uh, and, and so what you would expect would happen is happening. They're, they're just doing a Q&A. They're just, they're just bombing Jesus with questions. And so they're having this general discussion at the party about the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for people during Jesus' time and, and for Jewish people that Jesus would have been interacting with, the Sabbath was Saturday. And they considered this day to be holy. And, and on the holy day that they celebrated, there was to be no work done. And so Jesus and the people at this party are having this conversation about what constitutes work on the Sabbath. So basically like, hey, what are we allowed to do and what aren't we allowed to do on the Sabbath, on this holy day? And so Jesus kind of poses this question about, is it okay for me, Jesus, 
to heal someone on the Sabbath day, or does that, you know, does that equal work? That's kind of the context of what's happening at this party. But while Jesus is having this conversation, and they're around this dinner table, Jesus notices how everyone has positioned themselves at the table at this party. See, when we sit down at a table, I don't really give much thought to where I sit down at a table because we don't have kind of these preferential seats at a table. But, but during Jesus' time, the closer you were to the person who was hosting the party, the more prominent your seat was and, and the more place of honor that was. And so Jesus noticed how everyone was jockeying for position to try to sit as close to the people who were hosting the party as possible. And it was just an observation Jesus had. And so he brings it up in Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 7. And here's what he says. He says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a place, then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus teaches them this lesson. He, he takes the time during this meal to tell a story. It's kind of like Jesus is showing some etiquette to the people at this party, how to behave at parties by Jesus, right? And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, what does this have to do with serving? Well, the act of serving, when we talk about serving one another, it begins with an attitude, and the attitude that Jesus is talking about here is the attitude of humility. That we might be able to see people as more important than ourselves. That we might be able to value other people more than we value our own interests. That we might put others first. Some describe the hierarchy as this. God, others, me. And so Jesus continues to have this conversation with them if you want to pick up again in verse 12. It says that then Jesus says to the host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot pay you back, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, Jesus here continues this story. He continues teaching this lesson about attitude, right? And when we think about 2020, one of the things that maybe you've thought about or some people try to bring up is that how would Jesus react in the year 2020. What, what would his views be? What would his actions be? Right? Uh, would he stand up for social injustice? Uh, what side of the political party would he be on? Would he wear a mask or not? 
I can't answer all those questions for you. And I'm not here today to try to. But what I want you to do is I want this line from Jesus' story to ring out in your heart. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. I see the act of serving, whether it's in your neighborhood or a soup kitchen or a local school or inside the walls of a church building. I see the act of serving not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. An opportunity to see people the way that Jesus does. An opportunity to value people the way that Jesus does. An opportunity that a lost and broken world might see Jesus through your actions. And that serving is not an obligation. Serving is an opportunity. The phrase serve one another is found in the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a group of Christians that are living in that specific city. And the section of the letter that we're going to look at is found in chapter 5. And in, in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, Paul is talking to these Christians and he says, Look, you are running this race. And when he talks about a race, he's talking about the life that they're living, the Christian life that they're living. And he says, you are running this race, you are living this life, and you are doing so good, he says. Uh, But he says, but then somebody cut in front of you, somebody cut you off. And I don't know if you've ever ran in a race before, if you've ever been in like a large race, but sometimes when you're running in a race and you're on your pace and you're doing really well, somebody can come in and they can kind of cut in front of you. And now your pace is off. Or they can throw you offline and now you're off track. And Paul says, that's what happened to you. He says, you were doing so well, but somebody came in and they, and they knocked you off track. He says, I, I want you to know, he says, that you've been set free. And I, don't, and I want you to understand this freedom that you have. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says this. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He says this, he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's a couple things that I want us to see here. First, the call is not to use our freedom that we have, the freedom that we have in Jesus for selfish actions but rather we're supposed to use it to serve one another humbly in love again when we talk about this idea of love being at the foundation i didn't make this up that's what it says here that we are to serve one another humbly in love that love is connected all the way through all of these one another's Uh, but the second thing is this he says for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. I want that to sink in for just a second for you. That, that the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament law, everything that, that we read about in the Old Testament as, as contained in the law is summed up in this one phrase. I mean, do you have any idea how many laws there are in the Old Testament? I don't either, okay? But, but I guess that there's a lot, okay? No, experts say that there's over 600 laws that are recorded in the Old Testament. 
The ones that you're probably the most familiar with are the ten big ones, the ten commandments. All the other laws are really written to kind of enforce these ten major laws. But Paul says this. He says all of that, all 600 and something, basically Genesis through Malachi, everything that has to do with how we follow God in the Old Testament is summed up in this one phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's powerful that you could condense the entire Old Testament into this one idea. Jesus says something similar in the New Testament when he was asked about the greatest commandment. Nathan actually brought this up in his message last week, if you were with us or caught it online. Basically, Jesus is asked the question, what, are, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers this. He says, the first is this, love God. And the second is, is just like it. he says, love people. And I, I want to I be real with you. I have often felt like that serving, it's an obligation that I have. It's something that I have to check off my to-do list, right? Read my Bible, check. Go to church, check. Serve somewhere, check. Be generous, write a check. Anybody else feel... Like that you just have this list of to-dos. How do we move from seeing, serving as this obligation that we have to seeing it as a real opportunity, right? How do we move into that? The first thing that we have to do is we have to stop seeing serving as something that we do and see it as who we are. Serving is a lifestyle. And when we begin to take on the role of a servant, it becomes less about something we sign up for and more about who we are. I want serving to be your identity, not something that you sign up to do. Second thing is that we need to begin to move into this place where we see a need and we meet a need. We need to be empowered to be 24-7 looking for opportunities and ways to serve the people around us. Some of you are so good at this. I mean, you see something that needs to be done and you just do it. Honestly, that is not my strength. When I see a need, I think of all the reasons that I shouldn't or can't do it. Man, it's going to be too involved. That's going to take too long. I could be here all day if I get involved in that. I don't know that I necessarily have the skills to do that. I don't think that I can help. I might be more of a bother. Somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else is going to show up. All of these reasons why not to get involved run through my head. Serving begins with an attitude of humility and submission. As we reflect back on some of what we've already learned today, we know that the call from Jesus is to reach into this broken world and to serve the least of these around us. Those who have no ability to repay us back. In this message, in our big idea, we've talked a lot about this idea of motivation. What motivates us to serve. And that obligation is a poor motivator. That guilt is a poor motivator. There's tons of reasons why any one of us might serve at any given time. But uh, sometimes, if we're honest, it's because it just looks good. I mean, imagine if, if you're a high schooler that's in here or you have a high schooler, 
And you're thinking about going to college, one of the things that you have to do on your college application, on those scholarship applications, you've got to have these service opportunities. What have you done that makes you look better than other students? At its core, it invites us to serve simply for the act of recognition or because it makes us look better than somebody else. When we think about this idea of how we serve and why we serve, selfish intent versus true intent bubbles up. And in the book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster paints a word picture that describes the tension between these two things. And I just want to read some of the excerpts from here. He, he lists out these ideas of self-righteous service versus true service. Here's what he says. Self-righteous service comes through human effort. True service comes from a relationship with the divine God deep inside. Self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large act of service. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. True service rests content in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. True service is free from the need to calculate results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. Self-righteous service is is insensitive. It insists on meeting the need even when doing so would be destructive. True service can withhold the service as freely as doing so. If I'm honest, this list is hard for me. Because I'm convicted that there's been moments in my life that have been motivated by being seen, by about being a big deal, by about uh, who I'm serving. Remember the list of people Jesus told us about at the party that he was invited to? He says, the next time you throw a banquet or a party, he says this, but when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. I know myself pretty well. And I struggle to show love to people who are different than me. Especially people who are different than me. When I see this list from Jesus, it scares me because I know that in the past, I've avoided people just like the people on this list. During my student ministry days, um, I used to tell this illustration to our students to try to paint this picture for them or try to give them some context about what we're talking about when we talk about this. So I I would tell them this, you know, hypothetical situation. I said, imagine there was a natural disaster. It could be a tornado or a hurricane that happened in in a place like maybe Texas. I would tell them, hey, here's the deal. If that happened, I would pull a bus up today... And say, two hours from now, we're going to fill that bus full of people. And we're going to travel on a trip to go serve the community that was affected by that disaster. 
You don't have much time to prep, but if you're willing to go, go pack a bag and show up here in a couple hours and we're going to be gone for five days. I bet I could get a lot of people to go on that bus. Flip the situation around. Same bus. Going to pull it up today. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a nursing home. We'll be gone for two hours. And if you want to come with us, show up here in a couple hours and and we're going to leave and go together. Which bus gets more people to go on it? Now, I don't know the answer to that, per se. But I know that sometimes our motivation for serving is about the adventure. It's about the journey. It's about the excitement. And so we are wrestling with this idea of the big deal. Versus actually reaching in and ministering to people who are broken wherever they are. And so, one of my all-time favorite passages that paints a picture for this is found in the book of Philippians. Paul writes about Jesus' attitude when it comes to how we should relate to one another. We're going to put it up on the screen and let's take a look at it together. Paul begins with this. He says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians chapter 2. And I love that passage. It's so beautiful. And it begins with this idea. It says that our attitude should be, our attitude towards one another should be the same attitude that Jesus has towards one another, towards people. That Jesus, even though he was God, said he made himself nothing. He set his identity as God off to the side and he humbled himself and he says, you know what, I'm willing to die, die on a cross for each and every one of you. And because he humbled himself and because he set his identity as God off to the side, it said that God lifted him up and exalted him to a place that's higher than anybody else. And Paul says that is how we should treat one another. That that is how we should interact with one another. How do we do that? How do we treat people the way that Jesus treats people? How do we see people the way that Jesus sees sees people? We do it by pouring Jesus into our bucket. We do it by immersing ourselves with as much Jesus as we can. The more we become like Jesus, the more we begin to see people like Jesus does. The more we become like Jesus, the more we begin to treat people the way that Jesus does. And that is our ultimate goal. And so this week, my challenge for each and every one of you is to look for an opportunity to serve someone. To look for an opportunity 
to go and, and make it uncomfortable. Uh, to see a need and meet a need when you normally wouldn't. That we might be able to be Jesus to someone else. Today's big idea is that serving is not an obligation, that serving is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be Jesus to the world around us. Recently, I was doing a study of the book of Titus, and in the book of Titus, Paul writes this letter to a young man, and through the entire theme of the book is this idea of to do good. And Paul says this idea of doing good is really an opportunity to make Jesus known to people. This is what he says. He says that we may make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Jesus says by doing good, by serving other people, we make the message of Jesus beautiful to the world around us. That's our mission. That's our goal. It's not serving for the sake of serving. It's serving so that a lost world may see the hope that we have in Jesus. And so the challenge that is on you today is to look for ways to serve a broken and lost world. Serving is an opportunity to make the teaching of Jesus beautiful to the world around us. Serving is an opportunity to be more like Jesus. One of the things that's going to happen today is that we're going to celebrate this in a real world way. We have someone who's come this morning who's going to be baptized this morning. And when we celebrate baptism and we talk about baptism, it's this idea that somebody is going all in for Jesus. Somebody hears the hope and the message of freedom that comes through Jesus and says, I want that. I want to follow Jesus with all of my life. And baptism is just this physical expression to let the world know that that I believe in Jesus. And so there's there's a young lady, Amanda, who's going to come up here in just a few minutes. But I just want to tell you a little bit about her and her story. She found us online during covid And she started interacting with us on social media. She began watching online. And then when we came back in July, she came back and started worshiping with us. She signed up for a baptism conversation class. She signed up for a meet the pastor class that we talked about. And she said, you know what? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. And when we talk about serving one another, when we talk about what it is that we're called to do, it's because there's people like Amanda that need to hear the good news that Jesus has to offer, and we have the opportunity to share that with them. And baptism is this beautiful picture of us surrendering and saying, God, I just want to follow you.